Main Street to Wall Street, global business celebrity and former Fortune 100 C-suite executive Jeffrey Hazlett takes you inside the good, the bad, and the ugly of businesses today. Saddle up. It's time for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. There is no question that our current healthcare system is broken. Man, I'm telling you, badly broken, if you ask me. The U.S. spends more on healthcare per person than any other of the wealthiest countries out there. $10,586 per person, to be exact. And we rank 37th in the world by population. So, should we be following the examples of other countries and providing health care for everyone? I mean, how can we fix the current system and who's responsible? That's the big question that we really talk about in this particular episode. I'm giving you a hint that you want to listen in. We talk about who's responsible for fixing the system. Is it the, the employers, the people? Is it the, the health care insurance companies? Is I mean, who, who? Well, my first guest is Deborah Alt, the founder and president of AIM. We call her Nurse Deb. She's known as Nurse Deb throughout the corporate world, and we want to welcome her right here to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Thanks for having me, Jeff. You know, this whole uh, pandemic thing has really thrown our health care in, in a frizzy, hasn't it? Oh, my goodness. It's been insane. Yeah. What do you? How are you seeing, um, or what are you seeing from the businesses, those leaders in businesses to talk about the healthcare system today and what, how it relates to COVID and then, of course, their business operations? Well, besides the fact that there's sheer pandemonium, right? Yeah. So we kind of have two classes of business owners that I'm seeing. Those that had already taken control of their health plan and their health care costs and the quality of care that their members were getting. And most of them are sitting kind of pretty at this point. They've gotten help and resources and support to their members. They know what the cost impact is going to be. They know what's going on with their third largest expense and where to project it to go. So those guys are kind of very happy at this point in time. Uh, The rest of the world, the people that had been getting health insurance through more traditional means through Blue Cross United, Cigna, Aetna, Humana, that were maybe fully insured for their health plan offering, uh, they're kind of in chaos right now. We've got projections coming out saying there's going to be a 40% premium hike. No, premiums are going to go down by 30%. It's all over the board. And then you've got the carriers doing things like saying, oh, we're not going to do any pre-cert. It's, you know, a free for all. Healthcare has become the wild, wild west. Anybody who shows up in an ER can get admitted for any reason or no reason. And the health plan's going to pay for it. And what kind of impact is that going to have in the long run? So it's really getting things more divisive instead of everybody pulling together. We are not all in this together. Yeah, well, without question. But, you know, you, let's think about this because I mean, I'm really concerned about the long-term impact it has on any business. Now, I'm going to use my business as an example. So I have, let's say, uh, 50 people covered, full benefits, full insurance. Um, so I don't even know what our deductible is. I'm going to guess it's around a thousand bucks or two, or maybe 2,500, probably 2,500. But even then, that's not too many companies provide the level of 
benefits for their employees that we do. I know that we're the Cadillac of that version for most employers. All right. right. So given that, I, I would think my premiums are actually going to go down because nobody's accessing healthcare right now. Nobody's getting any benefits right now of that. They're not going to the doctor. They're not having elective surgeries. You would think it would actually go down in cost, not up. Except the sickest of the sick. So those who contract COVID and end up in the ICU on a ventilator, getting ECMO, getting plasmapheresis, getting the experimental treatments, those people are going to cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars. And there's no way that the averted elective surgical procedures can make up for that. But at the same time, Deb, I mean, all due respect to those people that have prognosticated or or given these these future predictions that we're only at 60 some thousand people. It's not like we haven't even hit the flu season numbers yet. And I'm not trying to play into the conspiracy theories or anybody else that's out there. But let's be very clear. This isn't it's it's bad. All right. Trust me. We all know it's bad. We know that the cost, if you get it, are bad. We know that you're, if you get it, it's not, it sucks. And not only sucks, you can die from it. Right. We know all those things. I'm not trying to downplay that. So don't, don't start the cards and letters coming folks. But my point is it's not been as bad as we thought it was for as many people. We were projecting millions at this point and it's not like that. Yeah, it hasn't hit yet. The challenge is, like you mentioned earlier, if you've only got 50, 75 people on your health plan and one of them gets really, really sick and ends up being really, really expensive, it can tank your whole plan. So that's the challenge, right? And, And heaven forbid somebody get that ill and be on your plan, but what are we doing to provide information and resources and support? And what are we doing to handhold those people? Because people still need care, right? If you blew out your knee and you were scheduled for an ACL repair, how are you going to do that? Right. How are you going to manage it until you can get it? So unless we bring some resources to those folks, The challenge with having delayed things is also how many people are delaying things until they become so severely ill that they can't delay them any longer. And it ends up costing way more in the long run because of that delay. I'm glad, glad, you know, knock on wood, I'm knocking on wood right now. You can hear it. Okay. And the reason I'm doing that is because I've not had anyone get seriously sick or ill. Now I, in the past I've cared, I've had people have kidney transplants. We've had, you know, um, alcohol, drug treatment, those kinds of things, but you know, luckily, and of course babies, we we got a lot of babies born in our group. That's a question. So there, you know, there's no, no, let's swing it back off of COVID and let's just talk about healthcare. Cause as we listen, if you're listening right now, let me tell you the, the biggest cost you have outside of, your people. Okay. In fact, um, you, in fact, Howard Schultz, I think said this, he spends more for health insurance for his employees than he does spend for coffee. Okay. This is Starbucks. He spends more for health insurance than he spends for the primary product of which they sell. That says something. So we know it's broken. Um, What do you think is the solution to the fix and who's got to be really responsible for it? Well, being an old nurse, and I think pharmaceutical companies figured this out a long time ago, the only person who can really solve the problem is the patient. 
The challenge is there is no single consumer reports of healthcare, right? There's no place that they can go and say, who's the best surgeon to take out my kid's tonsils? It's not easy for them to access that information. So if we can get the right information and not just cost transparency, because there's a whole, I'm writing an article right now about why cost transparency alone won't work. But if you can get both quality and cost data into the hand of the patient at the point of sickness and give them the information that they need, then they will make the best choice. Yeah. Well, and it gets into patient advocacy, being a better patient, being better informed, um, right. having some people in your business who are better informed so that you can talk about this and have little, little, real clear transparency. Uh, because by the way, you know, cause someone getting sick, someone having problems in your business, it affects everybody else because some, you know, I got to go pay for a kidney transplant. I go pay for that. I got to cut back next year for everybody else. Anyway, right. listen, I don't want to cut back right now. I want to take a break cause I got to take a break because I need to talk about these wonderful, wonderful, wonderful sponsors. We'll be right back. C-Suite Radio. Hey, we're back and we're live on LinkedIn and we're live on Facebook as we are broadcasting here on C-Suite Radio, All Business with Jeffrey Hazel. We're talking with our very first guest, Deborah Alt, the founder and president of AIMM. Do you, do you call it AIM or is it AIMM? AIM. AIM. Well, it's, it's AIM with two M's. There you go. How's that? And we're talking with Nurse Deb. One, she's a very good friend. She's very active in our Hero Club and uh, and a nationally known uh, expert on healthcare. And of course, we're talking about healthcare, how to fix it. Someone just asked a question and sent it in. What is the future of standalone urgent care centers? Because, wow, I mean, they, they really upped their game with all this uh, pandemic stuff. Yeah, they absolutely have. Anything that is independent and non-hospital health system owned probably has a very bright future, assuming that they can afford to keep their employees on staff and operating through the non-essential services delay. Are they seen as non-essential services? They shouldn't be. Right. But the challenge is Americans, even people who are having heart attacks and strokes, are not going in for treatment because of the COVID pandemic. People are afraid to go. So they're staying back. See, I wouldn't stay back. I, I, I wouldn't worry about that. I mean, I, yeah, there's risk and so forth. But I mean, look how many healthcare workers aren't getting it and they're exposed right. to it every single minute of the day. So that that's well, it, encouraging, right? I mean, it, I, I hate to say it's encouraging to see that, that but you know what I mean? Yeah, it speaks to the fact that most normal Americans who are manufacturing widgets or creating pampers or building automobiles don't understand healthcare, right? They'll be mm-hmm. having chest pain and having a heart attack. And instead of going, oh my God, I should be calling 911 and going to the ER, they're worried about contracting COVID, which is going to kill you faster first, right? Yeah, the heart attack and a heartbeat, right? In a heartbeat. Right. And um, then you add so that they're scared about how much it's going to cost. Yeah. Right. That's the other dynamic. People ignore getting needed health care because they can't afford it, which ought to be criminal in the United States, in my opinion. But that's a whole nother diatribe. Well, I'm with I'm with you on that as well. I think uh, we should really be after <laughs> in terms of changing that whole thing. So a few years ago, you know, we dealt with ACA, you know, and. While it wasn't perfect, it insured millions of Americans. And there are a lot of people who were really, you know, quite frankly, pissed off about it, but which I didn't get. 
I didn't understand it. All we're trying to do is take those people who didn't have it and cover them. That seems like a fair thing for us to do. Was it the right path? Was it a was it the right path, or at least a, a decent start? It certainly didn't hurt, right? Mm -hmm. So the interesting thing is a lot of organizations that I worked with. So I tend to work with a lot of hero mentality organizations. Yeah. It had very minimal impact for them because they were already doing all the things that we were did. part of ACA anyway. Yeah. Right. So what was the big deal other than getting people who were uninsured insured? Um, the challenge is Jeff, and it, it comes through with ACA. It comes through with COVID. There is no right answer, right? Each employer has to have the right answer for them and their organization and their culture and their population. And keeping it individualized, I think, is one of the most important things that we can do. And having CEOs who educate themselves and understand just because a hospital or healthcare system has a really good marketing budget does not mean that they are a high quality, high value provider of every procedure or service. And so as, as CEOs across the country begin to understand, number one, you can control the cost of healthcare. And number two, you do that by getting credible, objective, quality and cost transparency data into the hands of your patients at the point of sickness. And you handhold them through the most cumbersome, most scary, most difficult time of their life. Now you really have the hero factor built into your health plan. Yeah. But why is it, why is it the responsibility? It seems to be and you, and I love the way you said it's really about the individual should take control. I agree with you hundred percent. It should be, but the employers, are the ones that have stuck with the problem, the employers, are the one that, you know, are perpetuating the problem, but they, they can't solve it. So why, why do you think employers haven't done this? I think employers have been lied to for so long that the cost of healthcare is the cost of healthcare. There's nothing you can do about it. Mm -hmm. That they abdicated all of their healthcare supply chain management out to a third party or to a non PL responsible person in their organization, and they just kind of gave up on it. They want to focus on things they can control, they want to focus on their core business. I mean, what car manufacturer was it that Buffett said spends more on steel than or spends more on healthcare than they do on steel, that they're a healthcare unit with an automobile building factory attached? People have just for so long thought that there's no control that they've they've succumbed to it. So Daniel Labrad asked a great question. He's one of our listeners and C-Suite Network member. It's uh, good to see you, Daniel. He, he said he was on a call today discussing primary care, and he asked the following question. Do you see a shift to value-based care, the unbundling of primary care and the doctor getting paid for the relationship versus the transaction? Ooh, Man, wouldn't we love that? That would right? be a cool deal, right? It would. And primary care worked well back when doctors rode mules and carried black bags. Yeah. <laughs> We've got some real challenges though, right? Well, there's a few. There's still a few. <laughs> there's, there's a couple of them left. Um, 
Yes, direct primary care is definitely a trend for the future. There are some challenges with that because most physicians don't have access to evidence-based clinical criteria. So what I mean by that is 99% of the things that a regular doctor is going to encounter on a daily basis, we know scientifically there are enough peer-reviewed medical journal articles, double-blind, randomized, clinical controlled study trials. We know what works and what doesn't. But by the time a doctor graduates from medical school, he's about seven years behind in the current research, right? Mm -hmm. It's impossible for them to keep up. So if they don't have access to evidence-based clinical criteria to drive their treatment decisions and to, to lay down a clinical pathway for them, that's a challenge. The other is it's also difficult for physicians to access quality and cost transparency data. So for example, we had a direct primary care doctor join one of our organizations, an employer-sponsored health plan. He was referring all of the patients with bad knees to a particular orthopedist. And we said, now, how'd you pick this doctor? So after about 15 minutes of holding his feet to the fire, he came back and said, well, everybody I send to him says he's really nice. The guy had sanctions against his license in the three adjoining states and was not board certified in orthopedics. So you got that's to, a problem. That's a little well, but, bit of a problem. But, but isn't so we got to get them the right info if they're good. If well, they're going to take charge of it, they've got to have the right info to do that. Well, let's just say they're not always the best business people either. But my well, listen. Let me take a break, and I want to come back and ask you a question related to that. We'll be right back right after this message. C-suite radio. We're live right now with Deborah Alt, the founder and president of AIM. That's AIM with two M's. And we affectionately refer to it as Nurse Deb. And of course, so does the industry. And she's an expert in this field. We're talking about healthcare in general, uh, all the way across and and some specifics. So we were talking about doctors and primary care. And can we get them back to doing what they really do? But the, the, the system's stacked against them, isn't it? I mean, they, they, they have to align with a clinic. They have to align with a hospital. They have to align with, a, with, a, with some kind of health care provider or they're out. They're out. I mean, they will be on a mule carrying a black bag. Absolutely. Yeah, they have to have some place to send patients who are sicker than what the subscription fee and the capability of their offices cover, right? And so every time they want a patient to get surgery or have imaging or be hospitalized, they've got to have some place to send them. And when they're getting pressured from those hospitals and healthcare systems to be a referral stream, that alters their motivation. Yeah. Do you think, uh, I mean, healthcare workers, I think are really getting their due now, meaning where we're really standing up and saying, look, they're, they're real first responders. We haven't treated them like first responders in the same way we've done with firemen and, and police officers in the military, but certainly healthcare workers are doing a great things right now. Do you think the current situation will fundamentally change the industry? Or do you think we'll fall back into old habits? I think if enough employers decide to make a change away from the traditional models, that we could really change healthcare in America. It's the first time in over 20 years I've been really excited, Jeff, about where we're at. We're right at the cusp of greatness if we can just get enough employers who are providing healthcare coverage to get it and go, I'm gonna take control of this. It's too important. My employees are too important. The cost of it is too important. I can't just ignore it or absorb the increased costs anymore. 
So how about let's let's get into with a couple minutes that we have left. Let's talk a little bit about insurance healthcare carriers. Um, do you think they're the solution or or to what we need or why and why not? Well, you know what? I'm gonna been... make I'm gonna make I'm gonna make a, a thing. I think we're gonna see record profits from them this year. I, I think it's be. just gonna be off the charts. And I think that people will really negatively react to that. I hope so. Their profits have been going up year over year over year since forever, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, they haven't solved it yet. I would think if they could, they would have by now. Um, I wouldn't think that this disruptor movement that I'm a part of, that you know, the next gen benefits folks, the health Rosetta folks across the country are a part of, would have the traction and be gaining traction the way it is if they were going to fix it. Um, yeah, I, I think this is going to open us up for a whole, just as we're seeing the financial industry being disrupted, and I believe we are, with regards to personal finance and corporate finance for banks, things that we look at for business. I mean, I was with a group of CEOs recently and asked them how many of them had a traditional banking account, and only about 15% actually raised their hand. How many were moving to digital accounts? Boom, all the hands go up. And, and I think we're going to see some changes to this as well. Is there anyone out there? Is there anyone out there? Is it someone in the government? Is there a health professional, insurance company? Is there anyone that could be an, a, a white knight here and can and be motivated enough to, to find a solution to? Well, first the employer. Yeah. And I've identified about 230 different benefit brokers across the country who are already doing this. Right. There was a great article in CEO magazine highlighting three of them and the benefit advisors that helped them do that. The next gen benefits revolution and all yeah. of the mastermind partners that are part of that are capable of bringing these solutions and have been doing it. You know, the you're talking about what that's one of our councils, the, the next gen council that's part of the C suite network. Again, another great group, Nelson Griswold and his group. I know you've been a part of them and been active with that group. Uh, anyone that wants to know, you you just email me and uh, I'll, I'll put that in the, you know, just email me, reach out to me. We'll make sure we make that happen. Yeah, I think that's the solution. I mean, patients are at the point that they want the solution. Employers are getting to the point that they want the solution and the benefit advisors that can produce the solution are there. Well, Deb, thank you so much. Thanks for being a part of the show today. This has been great to be able to talk to you. I got to have you back more. We got to talk a lot more about this and get in depth. I think what we need to do is spend some time educating people more and educating all of our all of our listeners all of our businesses cuz there's I think I know a lot but I don't know half nowhere near what you do so it would be great to have you back on the show would love that at the end of every show I like to talk about the things I learned we got another good guest coming up right after this on cybersecurity so, so tune in but from nurse deb what did I learn i mean who can fix this thing you you and me, either you as an individual, so you take more responsibility for your health care and you get super educated about what you can do, how you can cut costs, because you need to help your employer do that if you're, if you're working for somebody or if you're the boss, the employers, they have to take responsibilities. We got to get smarter about this. We got to get better. We spend more 
on this than any other thing in our company. The second largest expense that we have in the company. And we think it'd be for our raw materials or supplies or the people or whatever. No, it's this. It's ridiculous. And we got to do something to fix it. That's what I learned right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Hey, this next guest has got a very interesting story to tell. It happened to him not once but twice, are you kidding me? He became an entrepreneur to spend more time with his family and built a very successful business, a very profitable internet business. And then boom, boom, it all came crashing down all because of cyber crime. I mean, this guy got ripped off a couple of times. Wait to hear the stories. I mean, I just, I was so mad. I wanted to go punch somebody. Are you kidding me? Uh, what can we do to protect ourselves, our identities from these hackers? Now, now that we're working from home, how can companies beef up their firewalls to ensure that their data is well protected? I mean, this is the kind of stuff we talk about on this on this part of the, the show, on this episode. So my guest on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett is John Celio, president and CEO of the Celio Group. Welcome, John. Hey, it's good to be here, Jeffrey. Thanks for having me. Well, it's a pleasure. Tell our audience how you became a cybersecurity expert. Yeah, I kind of did it in the most painful way possible. I, I had two separate cases of, of cybercrime, as it were. The first was kind of a, a gentle garden variety. A, a woman stole my uh, social security number out of the trash, used oh. it to buy herself a home cross-country in, in Boca Raton, Florida. I live in Denver. And uh, then declared You didn't bankruptcy. get that house, did you? Did you end up getting the house, baby? It could have been some benefit. Not only, from- not only did I not get the house, but I never got the uh, the money back that she had embezzled from our, our bank accounts. It's You rarely uh, get made whole on these. But that, that one was actually, uh, uh, other than her declaring bankruptcy in my name, that one was pretty gentle compared to my second one. So she actually, she took your social security, created another persona, meaning you again, and then utilize that to go out and reproduce your life in a different way. That's exactly right. Used it to uh, to take out a loan, buy a house, default on the loan, declare bankruptcy using my social. And then, of course, the authorities came to me for, for that money because it all looked like it had been me. Sure. Did did Was she ever arrested? Was she ever put into jail? No. Um, despite knowing her address, her name, everything about her, her name is Rosemary Serrano. Um, when I talked to the police about it, they, they, it was before they even had the term identity theft. They said, Oh, you're like 6,500 in line for us to, to investigate this type of crime. They're just completely overloaded on this, as you can imagine. Oh, absolutely. And we, uh, we all see it. Every business has got some, has been a victim in some way, shape or form of this. And, you know, I have it happen to me all the time with my persona, meaning my pictures. I have, um, you know, uh, women who have given hundreds of thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, to these criminals thinking it's me, but it's not me. Oh, yeah. And uh, it, every day, literally every day we get messages from men and women, because I'm, I'm, I'm actually on both sides of this, who uh, see my pictures either on a gay site or some dating site, and they, they fall in love with me. All right. My, my photos, my life. And these guys are very good at it. And I've worked with Scotland Yards. I've worked with everybody across the world to do whatever we can. And they've gotten very sophisticated. So it's, it's all kinds of different cyber, you know, uh, crimes that are occurring. You know, what did you learn when you learned that you had been a victim of cyber crime that we can apply right now? You know, the problem 
that what I learned was that I didn't learn. I didn't actually listen to what was going on. And that led to my second case where an insider in my business embezzled from all of our clients using my identity. That was now, you know, a multi-million dollar loss that, uh, that I went through. And it's really that, that transition between the two that when something happens to us personally, like, listen, like the crisis we're going through now, we have to take what we learn and apply it across our life, apply it to our organizations. I did yeah. not do that. And I lost my, my several million dollar software company because I didn't learn it the first time around. Cause you, cause he embezzled the clients, clients got ticked off, said, Oh, you're cheating me. I'm out. Well, he that. embezzled as me. He actually still used my identity to embezzle. It was as my business partner and, and best friend. And uh, he used my banking login credentials to commit all of the crimes. And then when they came, when the attorney general's office office came after uh, the business, it was me that looked like it had done it because it was my footprint, digital footprint did, all over the you, records. Did, did this guy get arrested? Ultimately, he went to jail, get this, for a, a grand total of 18 days. It was a 54-day sentence, commuted to 18 days. That's often how white-collar crime is prosecuted. Right. And uh, you can imagine the, the initial bitterness that I felt from that. Do you ever want to just go punch these guys in the throat? <laughs> Seriously, you know, I... I would more, more I'd than want to <laughs> absolutely more than that. Every time I cough, yeah. I get nervous that people are going to scatter. Um, <laughs> I, I get uh, I, what I learned first of all was bitterness does nothing but make it worse. Uh, yeah. it, it kind of went downhill for several years before I turned it into something and, you know, now get it, get to speak on cybersecurity. I've written some books on it and it ended up being a good thing, but man, that bitterness, uh, it was hard to get through that. Yeah. So what, so then what, what are the signs or what do you, what, what, what do you want to tell our folks that are listening right now? Hey, this happened to me. Don't let this happen to me. What, what is it that I, I need to do? Do I need to use LifeLock, which, you know, I'm a big believer in, do I need to, to use others? What, what do I need to do? You know, really the things, it depends on if you're, we're talking about business here or we're talking about individuals, but everything of course starts from us. You know, we put on our own oxygen masks, first. So some of the the simple personal things that you can do. A credit freeze is probably the most secure thing you can do to lock down your, at least your credit profile and your earning potential. Um, That is such an easy step. It's something that's been around for 15 years. It's free. It's free to unfreeze it. It doesn't affect your credit. The average American still has not taken that step. And that locks out about 90% of financial identity theft. And that's using something like a LifeLock or, or something on the- Actually, it's not. So LifeLock oh, wow. is a paid service. Yeah. Uh, a credit freeze is directly with Experian, Equifax, and TransUnion, the three so credit the main, reporting So the main guy, the main guys, yeah. Yeah, the three so that's main- That's where I, I got to go in and create a profile and then say, this is me, and then- and then Oh, they've got that. your profile. They, they've no, got but I everything mean, on I you. I mean, link, yeah. I mean, but link, link my- yeah, link on my link to my my persona. Or exactly my, my, to me, right? So what's the what's the next thing a business should be doing? I mean, so a business when we're looking at businesses, let's just talk immediately about the uh, the pandemic here and what's going on. Uh, everybody has jumped on Zoom, right? And they have jumped right. on Zoom, missing all of the security settings that by default Zoom doesn't turn on. They want it to be easy. Uh, turning on, for example, having a password, not using the same meeting room twice, which allows 
uh, people to get in and out of your meeting rooms. I recently uh, was working with a, a board of directors of a Fortune 1000 who had their competitor in their board meeting because they didn't know that it was the, the same meeting ID that they had used before on a conversation. So these, you know, just most immediately. But, but John, even, even on something like that, I mean, I see the people that are on the meeting and I go, who's that number? If I don't know that number, I stop the call. You so know? in this case, the person who got on, uh, got on in place of an absent, they, they changed their name and they got on in place of an absent uh, board of director member who they had seen on social social media was not going to be able to make the board meeting. So they knew wow. that they could get on. They put a picture up that they got from the social media site, put it up so it looked like Jeffrey was on the screen. Of course, it wasn't. Sat there and listened. And then when they started asking that person questions, they hung up. When they did a backtrace, it was from their competitor's address. <laughs> what an idiot. Seriously, you have to be an idiot to do that and not figure out you're going to get caught. That's one. But anyway, that's a different thing. But yeah, you're, you're seeing a lot of Zoom bombs right now, right? Yeah, a lot of Zoom bombing, which is where they, you know, come in and, and they're naked or they're, they put up racial epithets. And that's because people publish their main address that they have meetings at over and over and they don't have a yeah. password on it. Those two defaults will change everything if you, you just take the 30 seconds to set it up. Yep. Hey, let's take a quick break. Instead of talking about getting set up, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. C-Suite Radio. And I'm with John Celio, the CEO and president of the Celio Group. We're talking all about cybersecurity, cybercrimes, and uh, how to protect yourself against these hackers. We were just talking about Zoom. Um, I'm doing a lot of Zoom calls. Now, luckily, I haven't had any Zoom bombs. Although I've had a lot of friends who have had a lot of people come on, dance naked, uh, throw up porn, I haven't seen the racial stuff, uh, but, you know, but there's some very simple things that, you know, John's talking about that you should do. How else should we protect not only our brand in this way, but protect our employees who are working from home? And then, because I don't want to have breaches there because they're working home and I don't want those coming back to haunt me either. What else, what should I be doing, John? You probably just identified the number one risk that we have, which is as yeah. we have moved into a remote working world much more than it was six weeks ago, the, all of those little nodes, all of those people are back doors now into the corporate network that did not exist. And it's right. almost impossible for the security force, your IT team, to keep up with that. So there are things you can do at home to to really lower your chances um, of causing a problem in the organization or your home. Great example is um, ransomware, which you know comes into your system, yeah. freezes up the system, propagates to your, your company and freezes their systems. That's all because you click on a bad link in an email or a text. Well, when you use something like third-party spam filtration, not the one that comes with Outlook, not the one that comes with Apple, but a third-party uh, package that you may pay 10 bucks a month for, your chances of that spam turning into a phishing email that loads ransomware on your system goes down precipitously. But most of us don't have that implemented because we've just been using Outlook and, and Apple Mail. Yeah, well, then you should use things like Kaspersky or McAfee or some other more enterprise systems or even something that's much above that. But I, you know, I'm just looking at some of those. What about a VPN? Should I have VPNs for all my employees? 
VPN definitely is a step in the right direction, but we've kind of, the pandemic has has accelerated the death of what in security we call the perimeter, the security perimeter. So right. everybody would, uh, would call into the servers in a location and get their information that way. And a VPN would, would um, protect that connection. Well, now with all of us distributed and us computing directly to the cloud and between each other, there's no perimeter around that anymore. So um, a VPN is helpful in some ways, but it's only about a 50% protection these days because we've changed our models of computing. So, so what should I be doing then? So then it comes down to securing the end devices. So for example, if you're yeah. working in a large corporation, that corporation will have given you a, a laptop that they have secured that you can't load a bunch of software onto, or if you do, they know about it. And it's so it's controlling the remote or mobile devices in a centralized way and, and locking those down. And that's really about the only way to make sure that uh, you're not letting somebody in through a, a back door in, you know, somebody's remote office. So John, what do you say to my employees who say, Oh man, that's just a real pain. You got to make me do this. You're your big brother. You're looking over my shoulder, my computer. Uh, I want to, I just want to use Google docs. You know, what do you say to these guys? I, I get it. I understand the convenience versus security balance, but I got to tell you for many employees, your job depends on it nowadays. Um, if you're the one that allows the, uh, the ransomware, the malware into the corporate system because you clicked on a link that you were trained to not click on, uh, it's, you know, I, I see people get, get fired, demoted, uh, reprimanded every day because they haven't followed it. So it's really at this point, part of your job. Yeah. I like that word. You got it. We should talk about the training side of that, but you know, yeah. cause I, we have a, we have a secure system for files and everything. And so many times I've seen my employees that start set up Google docs to the point where I finally said to them, if I see one more Google doc, you will not be working in this company. I, you know, I don't want to, you know, not, I'm not saying anything wrong about Google docs. I just don't want our assets outside that perimeter. Google Docs and, and Dropbox are great for marketing assets, for stuff that you make public. But man, to put company data in there, uh, six months ago, Dropbox was completely open to anybody who uh, who didn't even have your password. They, they accidentally turned off the password feature. So for all of those people, <laughs> if you've got those files stored on Dropbox, you are in tough shape. And in That's Google, they're scanning your documents. They're taking a look at them and selling you an advertising based on what's in those documents. Yeah, well, totally. They're they're looking at your data all the time. You bet. That's why I don't care for those kinds of services. I don't need another big brother and someone that I'm having to pay. And then on top of it, they're looking at, at mining my own stuff for their benefit. That's exactly Can't right. Can't stand it. Can't stand it. Don, that, there you go, folks. And for all my employees who are not listening right now, I'm going <laughs> to send you this clip right this second. Hey, so what kind of training? You just, you just hit on a weakness I've got. Training. I'm not doing enough training in this area. What, what should I be doing and who's doing it and how do I get it? And I need to rush and get it right now. Yeah, so training is uh, by far the the weakest link because yeah. you know you can have the best technology in the world, but if we humans don't do what you just said, don't use it correctly, it doesn't matter what you've done. So with when something like 
COVID comes along, you, you know, there's a 6,000% increase in phishing emails that are coming to your employees to allow cyber criminals to get in. You've got to train on that. So there's, there's a couple of options. There are online systems like Wombat, like Know Before. Um, those are good. They're like anything virtual, which is readership and viewership tails off over time. Um, there's people like me that come into corporations and that's all I do. I keynote and I train on security awareness training so that your employees once a year or twice a year know exactly what they're doing. There's books, there's manuals, there's all kinds. The, the thing is, it depends on the size of your company and on your IT team. Are they internal or external? So what I would do for most small businesses is I would go to your, your IT people or your IT department and say, where do we get trained on this stuff? Yeah, I think that's an important piece. Hey, listen, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back after this message. C-Suite Radio. Hey, we're back and we're broadcasting and live casting live on LinkedIn and Facebook as we are and have been doing ever since this whole COVID uh, pandemic. But And it's been exciting because we're learning new things, which is exciting. And we're getting a lot out to a lot more people. And uh, of course, this is uh, C-Suite Radio. And this is all business with Jeffrey Hazlett right here on C-Suite Radio, the world's largest business podcast network. And I'm visiting with John CEO, the CEO and president of the CEO Group, who does, um, and he's a million dollar speaker. By the way, I know that because I'm part of that million dollar speakers group as part of the National Speaker Association. Many of us are also Hall of Fame speakers and we get to know some really great people. And John's one of those. And when they recently he was talking about um, Zoom bombing and a couple of other things. I said, well, geez, let's get him back on here. What are what's what would you tell someone if they had to make an actual step right now? They said, hey, look, you got to protect yourself. Here's the three things you must do. What would those be? Uh, personally or business wise? I, would, I always like business because this is all business. Yeah, personal. All business. You better get. You better. You better check yourself before you wreck yourself. That's what you first should do on the <laughs> on the personal side. Abs that's absolutely right. So on the business side, the first thing that I would do is find a security company. That's not me. I don't do that. And have uh, a security audit or a risk assessment. Spend a mm. couple thousand dollars having them them come in, ping your systems and tell you exactly where your weaknesses are, because it's going to be different from business A to business B to the one that you see in the media that gets all the bad attention. You're going to have different needs and they can come in and assess that. They can lock down the, the old outdated Windows operating systems, the apps that you have that aren't up to date, the smartphone devices that aren't properly configured. That in one fell swoop will get rid of 70 to 80 percent of your problem. Yeah. Just checking that to make sure, you, are we all on the same operating system? Are all we doing this? Because a lot of us, we as business people, we're not making the investments we need to make in this particular area. We're, you know, Jeffrey, you know, 95% of all the people, all the companies that come to us and tell us they've been breached, it's one of basically five things that, that aren't done. An updated operating system, an outdated computer. They don't have good backup recovery. There's number two that I would put up for yeah. you. If you don't have good backup recovery that's off-site and offline so that it yeah. doesn't, you know, the, the germs don't propagate from one computer to the next and you get hit by ransomware, it locks up your system, there's no way out. You're either paying the ransom, which only 50% of the time will, will give you your data back, 
or you are out of your data. And I have seen businesses wrecked because of this. And it's because you don't have a good working backup. That's, that's such a known vulnerability. And again, most businesses have never even tried. You know, I'm writing all this down myself just to make sure. Thank you. These are nuggets of gold for anyone that's listening right now. You know, the the training, the, you know, the backup system, all that, the risk assessment. But the first thing you got to do is you got to make it a priority, right? You got to say, You've hey, this to make is, it a priority. Yeah, but yeah both intention wise and budget wise. And, yeah. you know, during hard times, it's hard to allocate budget, but it's more important now than than ever. Are you protected if you're doing something like uh, Microsoft 365 or any of the, uh, you know, any of those, those types of systems? You know, <coughs> excuse me, Microsoft does a really good job, as do Amazon and Google of internal security. The problem with those systems is people don't use long and strong passwords. They don't use a password manager like uh, 1Password, Dashlane, LastPass. Love it. Love and those are password. those are phenomenal because they make yeah. you do long and strong alphanumeric. You don't have to remember it. It's on your phone. It's on your computer. That's the number one reason that people get that hackers get in to 365 or any online system is because you have a bad password. Yeah. My, my wife is uh, just adamant about that. She comes up with passwords. I don't even know what they mean. So those are good passwords, right? Those are good passwords. Hey, listen, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for you. You've really, you know, I always like it when I do an interview, John, where I learn something and I am almost every interview, I learn something, but this is, this was a eye opener for me again to say, I need to make a priority out of cybersecurity in a bigger way than I'm doing. I, you know, I'm doing a good job. But I'm not doing a great job and you need to do a great job here. You don't need to, this isn't one of those things like you just get it over the line. No, 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 no. You got to put it out of the reach. And this is one of those things. So thank you for that, John. You bet. Yeah. The difference between good and great in this case can be uh, millions of dollars or staying in business as I found out. So thank you for having me on Jeffrey. It's been a pleasure. Uh, Hey, at the end of the show, as you know, I like to wrap up and talk about what I learned. I'll tell you what I learned. I'll tell you a couple of things. I'm not taking this serious enough. You're not taking it serious enough. What are you doing? What are you doing? I mean, you're, all your data is in one place. All your data is here, there, and you got to protect it. I mean, my gosh, we've got to do more training. That's one. And second, we have to put more resources, you know, or more emphasis on the syllable right? <laughs> you know, to be able to focus in on uh, making sure this is a priority for your business, both financially, that you've, you've, you've done the right things to do it. And then that you're always being diligent about getting it done. That's what I learned. That's my wake up call. That's my slap in the face. And I learned it right here on all business with Jeffrey Hazlett on C-Suite Radio. Please tell your friends and thanks for listening. You're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by C-Suite Radio, a podcast network featuring today's top business experts and is part of the C-Suite Network, the world's most trusted network of C-Suite executives. Find this and other business podcasts on c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.